You are currently listening to a Suffolk free radio podcast. The views and opinions expressed on the Best of Beantown podcast are the views and opinions of the show personalities only and do not reflect those of Suffolk University, Suffolk Free Radio, or those of the Student Leadership and Involvement Office. Adult language may be used. Listener discretion is advised. Everyone and welcome to episode six of the Best of Bean Town podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Josh DePeel, here with Chris Sliwa and James Sampson on a very busy week for the Patriots, at least. How are you guys doing? Doing a lot better than I was last week after everything that's happened. That's for sure. Yeah, I feel like uh, Christmas already happened in March, so I'm feeling good. This ain't Patty's Day. It is St. Patrick's Day. Guys, let me tell you, the last two days, I mean, like, the amount of sports news we've, come, we've just seen come out of New England is just crazy in terms of football. So we're going to go first up. We're going to definitely talk about the Patriots. One of the big moves that happened, this was right after our show last week, after we had a big quarterback debate about who was going to be the next quarterback for this upcoming season for the Patriots. Well, guess what? It's looking like it's going to be Cam Newton, who, according to sources, is going to sign a one-year deal with the Patriots worth up to $13.6 million, with about $6 million tied to incentives. Chris, I want to go to you first. What do you think about Cam coming back to the Patriots next year? Obviously, I w- I've been saying for weeks I want him back. I'm not surprised that he's back. The the money is a little bit of a tricky situation, I believe. What is it? I think it's like five or six million, somewhere around there, is guaranteed. But, I mean, I've kind of been saying give him another chance, surround him with weapons, and it seems like that's exactly what Bill Belichick has been doing. Although everything I'm reading right now has been saying that the Patriots are not done with all their other positions, especially the quarterback. So there's still a chance they could bring someone else in. Who that someone else may be, we're not really sure at the moment. Could be a rookie in the draft, could be a veteran via trade or free agency. But I certainly am excited that Cam Newton's back. That's for sure. James, what about you? What do you think about Cam returning uh, to Bill Belichick? Well, I love the deal that we signed him on. It's all incentive laden. So I think there's really no downside to doing that. And I think if worst comes to worst, we do have a plan. Um, so if any of the other one, targets that we're going after, we have a backup plan, someone that knows the playbook. And I think with all the weapons that we just uh, brought in with Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, um, I think I think it's a, it's a great move because I think you can only go up from here. And I kind of changed my narrative on how I feel about Cam Newton. Um, I feel a lot better now if he is the starter next year, given all the moves that we just did for him. So, yeah, I'm excited to see what year two can bring. I think it's another year of Cam Newton getting healthy, and I think he's going to be more motivated than ever. I mean, he still has has to prove that he can play in this league and that he can uh, get another big contract. So um, I'm definitely happy with the move, and I think there's only upside um, based on the contract that he signed. Like you said, Chris, there is still a possibility another quarterback comes in. So as far as I know, Jared Siddham's on the roster Boyer, the lawyer, is still on the roster, and we could always bring in a rookie quarterback. So I think we have a maximum roster size of 75 players right now. 
and that's before we can trim it down to um, 55 or 52, one something like that. So we there's definitely still a possibility that we could bring a rookie quarterback in. I don't see the possibility of them bringing another free agent in. I think Cam's going to be that guy. But when I first heard the news, it no one talked about incentives when his first contract deal came out. It was just one year. 13.6 million and everyone was just going crazy like can just fleeced bill so i'm happy news came out that most of that money was tied to incentives because a one year 13 million dollar deal against the cap for cam would not be financially um smart in, ter- uh, in terms of the patriots but we're gonna jump into the weapons that we got from just the other day but I'm excited to see how Cam does because I think now this season's going to be proper shut up for Cam. You know, he's going to have weapons at his disposal. Um, if he's still going to be the guy that he was, he's not going to be the MVP that he was in Carolina. But if he's still going to be a great quarterback, it's going to be shown in this season. This is going to be it. So um, anyway, moving on after Cam, we had a lot more free agency moves. I'm going to just read off some of the big ones. Bill went crazy. He got his stimulus check in the mail, clearly, and he spent it all when free agency started, you guys. Um, one of the first deals that the Patriots were able to do, they signed former Baltimore Ravens linebacker Matthew Judon to a four-year, $56 million deal. And later they signed tight end Jonu Smith, who played with Tennessee last year, to a four-year, $50 million deal with $31.25 million guaranteed. Then he went out and signed Jalen Mills, who is the Eagles cornerback. He's also nicknamed as the Goblin. That's because of his green hair. But he agreed to a four-year, $24 million deal with $9 million guaranteed. Uh, he re-signed Dietrich Wise to a four-year deal with a maximum value of $30 million and $10 million guaranteed. Um, let's see. What else did he do? We're, we're just going down the list, you guys. There was a ton of moves. Nelson Aguilar. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Hunter Henry, Nelson Aguilar. Uh, Henry got a three-year, $37.5 million deal. Aguilar got a two-year, $26 million deal. Both of those guys played out in the AFC West last year. Um, Kendrick Bourne, he played with the 49ers last year. He signed a three-year, $22.5 million deal. Uh, Devon Godshaw, he's a nose tackle, played with the Dolphins last year. He signed a two-year deal up to $16 million. And then they brought back veteran center Ted Karras, who was a six-round draft pick by the Patriots way back when. He signed a one-year deal um, that could be worth up to $4 million. And this could be um, the bill making it up for potentially the loss of David Andrews, who did not sign a contract extension with the Patriots, and he's now going to be a free agent. So, um, guys, I just read a lot of names here. What do you think about all the moves that Belichick made in just the last two days when free agency started? I think he's filling out just about every single hole that the Patriots lacked. And this year, you mentioned all the different positions, wide receiver, defensive line, linebackers. He's filling out all the positions the Patriots struggle in, which obviously is certainly an upgrade. The most questionable deal in my eyes is Nelson Aguilar. I'm not saying he can't play, but the basically $13 million a year is like kind of questionable after was he, he was pretty much playing for not much last year in Vegas. So that's a, that's a questionable decision. I do think you'll have quite the impact. The one I'm excited for is Matthew Judon out of Baltimore. 
I believe he was a pro bowler this past year, might've been a pro bowler the year before as well. But I think that's going to be the biggest acquisition for Bill. Although the two tight end setup that we now have going, I think that's also going to be very important this season. Uh, James, first thoughts to all the guys that Bill signed. Yeah, they look like typical Patriots signings. We didn't go out. We didn't sign Juju Smith-Schuster. We didn't sign Kenny Galladay. Um, but we signed a bunch of, of players that can definitely play. Um, and going back on what Chris said about the Nelson Aguilar deal, I do think we kind of overpaid. Um, if you just look around the deals that even happened today, like A.J. Green signing with the Cardinals, um, I believe off the top of my head, that was around $6 million. There's a one-year prove-it deal. Um, so when you're getting up into the double digits, when we're talking $12, 13000000 million for Nelson Aguilar, who you know just a few years ago was considered a bust and couldn't hold on to the ball, I think uh, paying all these people on the first day or the first couple of days of free agency, um, you are going to have to overpay, unfortunately, for, for those types of deals. So I'm glad that we did bring in help. Um, I don't know if we, we mentioned it. I know the list is huge and it seems like every few seconds they're signing someone, but we also got Kendrick Bourne who played for the 49ers. And I think, you know, once again, I'm going to say like I usually do, I still think the door is still open for Jimmy Garoppolo to come in here and Kendrick Bourne is someone that he'd be comfortable throwing the ball to. And I'm really happy to see that we, we snagged the two top tight ends of the free agency because uh, Bill was the one that kind of popularized the two tight end sets with Gronkowski and Hernandez. And we all know how lethal our offense was back in, uh, you know, 2010 through 2016, give or take, with the two tight end sets. So I'm really excited to see what Hunter Henry and John o. Smith can do because I thought the defense was going to be fine anyways with the opt-outs coming back, and they played pretty well last year. Um, so I'm really excited to see those offensive pieces come in and see if we can make that one of our strengths as well besides the defense. Yeah, Nelson Aguilar, he signed a one-year prove-it deal with the Raiders last year, and he played pretty well. He was able to spread the field. He played a lot better with the Raiders than he did with the Eagles. So he's able to get kind of a payday, not like the payday that we're going to be seeing from Kenny Galladay later on before the free agency for this year is over. But a two-year $26 million deal, I don't know if there's incentives attached to that, but he can help spread the field, which is something that we desperately need from our receiving core. The two tight end, you know, we're bringing back the Boston PE part, you guys. I am so excited. You know, just Jonu Smith is a stud. I've had him on my fantasy team last year, last two years. He has been an incredible offensive asset for that Tennessee team. They were able to use him in so many different formations. He's such a versatile player. I'm very excited to see what Bill's going to use him for because he's he's pretty fast for a tight end. And then Hunter Henry. Um I, I thought we were done after we got Johnny Smith, but after seeing our tight end core, Bill was like, you know what? Screw it. Let's go get a Hunter. We got Hunter Henry on this roster. Three-year, $37.5 million deal. Great pickup. I don't know if he um, – he does have durability concerns, but um, other than that, he's still a stud of a player. Um, Jalen Mills, I think that's a sign that we're definitely going to be trading Gilmore. So I think because he could shift over um, – he's, he's listed as a safety but he can also shift over to a cornerback position. I think that's what's probably going to end up happening. Um, once they trade Gilmore, Jalen's going to roll into that starting um, rotation there. And then um, I'm very curious to see where Judon fits because right now we're going to have Hightower coming back. Uche is going to be there. Winovich is also going to be there. Um, who will, And I don't know if I'm missing anything else, anyone else, but 
Um, I'm very curious to see where he's going to fit on that defensive scheme. Um, I know he's like a big pass rushing guy, so I think Bill's going to use him in a lot of different blitz packages. Um, Kendrick Bourne, he's people call him a slot receiver, but I watched some of his highlights the other day, and he's really tall. So I'm very excited to see what he can do if he can reach up and grab 50 50 balls and become potentially what Nikhil Harry was supposed to be. And I know I think this kind of signals the end. Nikhil Harry is definitely out the door, potentially in New England after all these free agency signings. Um, but yeah, guys, anything else you guys wanted to add? I think. I'm not sure which one it's going to be yet, but I think with all these with these two receiver signings and the tight end signings, I think like one of the two between Nikhil Harry and Julian Edelman is probably going to be gone by the time the season starts. I would probably say Nikhil Harry more so at this point because like if Bill does decide to cut Julian Edelman, we know that Tom Brady is going to try to get him to go to Tampa Bay, and it seems like Bill is just trying to stockpile talent to try to win a Super Bowl that kind of prove it that he can win without Tom. So I don't know if he's going to want to get rid of Edelman yet, but that will be interesting to see. But yeah, I just think with the depth we have right now, Edelman or Harry still might be out the door soon. I don't think that's going to be a surprise to anyone when that happens. Chris, what do you think about our tight end sets that we're going to have? Do you see the rookies that we drafted last year um, potentially out the door after these big signings of John Smith and her Henry, you know, Devin Asiasi and then uh, Dalton Keene and um, who's the other guy? Ryan Izzo. Ryan Izzo. Ryan Izzo is I have no idea what the spells are for him. And Matt McCoss, yeah. What do you guys think um, happens to those other tight ends after we signed Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith to the team? Well, they definitely can't keep all of them. I think I think Bill will at least keep two of those four that we just mentioned between Lacoste, Asiasi, and the other two. Sorry, I'm forgetting their name right now. But I think he's still – I think he's going to run more so a three tight end set than anything. So I think he's still going to have three or four tight ends on the roster and then keep two of those younger tight ends as the third guy. Because, I mean, obviously he likes he likes controlling the middle of the field, which is why he went out and got those two tight ends. But I think he's also going to use that third guy for some extra support when it comes to the running offense. So I'm not sure which one he'll keep at the moment, but I think he'll, I think he might honestly keep both the two between Ossie Ossie and uh, Dalton Keene at the moment, but we'll see. What about you, James? Yeah. Given the draft capital that he had to use to get Keen and uh, Asi Asi, I, I see them as more likely to be kept on the roster just for the, for the fact that they were both third round picks. Um, and he traded up to, I don't remember. Did he trade up for both of them? I know he traded up for one of them. Um, but either way, I know that he's not going to just uh, give up on both of them uh, next year. So definitely one of those people will stay. Um, but I think Ryan Izzo, he was a seventh round pick if I even remember correctly. So I think um, he was never supposed to be a starting tight end. So I think his days are numbered. And um, just on the topic of tight ends, if Hunter Henry can stay healthy this year, I don't see how he wouldn't be a, a first time pro bowler this year. Uh, if you go, if, especially if Cam Newton is the quarterback, because if you go back to Cam Newton's best days, his MVP days, uh, his number one receiver every year was Greg Olson. So he loves to find his tight end. And Hunter Henry is a big, huge receiving tight end. Um, and I think he's going to get most of the receptions. I think Johnu Smith is going to be used as like a swift Swiss knife where he can line up in the backfield. Um, he can line, line up in the X uh, wide, rec wide receiver position. So 
Um, yeah, they definitely can't keep all of those players. They have way too many tight ends. Um, but I think it's way too early for Bill to throw, throw the white flag on those two tight ends that he drafted last year. So, Is there anyone that um, – any of the acquisitions that Bill made, do you think that he overpaid for? Oh, I think I was watching – was it Skip Bayless on Undisputed? He was kind of basically saying that Bill was just throwing money at everyone, which, like, the way he said it, I kind of, like, understand where he, is, he was coming from. But at the same time, like the Patriots were one of the few teams that actually had cap space. So I don't think Bill was really that like not careless, but I don't think he cared that much about throwing money at players. Like I think he paid them about a decent price as they were going to get. If they signed elsewhere, they were probably going to get more money. But I mean, like I said, not many teams had the money. So I don't think he really cared how much he threw at players as long as it was was in a reasonable price range for his liking, which I mean, all these guys – you could say they're slightly overpaid, but I don't think that's too much for Bill Belichick to handle. Yeah, the Patriots came yeah, in. Yeah, you... uh, free go, James. The Patriots came in um, to free agency with the third most cap space in the entire league. I think it was just over sixty million, and they haven't released the exact numbers of what their cap space is now. But estimates are projecting it at around twenty to twenty-five, or somewhere in that range now after all these signings. So anyway, go ahead, James. Yeah, so the contracts that he gave out, because it was on day one, like I said, you kind of do have to overpay if you're going to be aggressive in the first couple of days. But the way that the contracts are structured, most of that guaranteed money is in the first year or two. Um, and the money goes up as hopefully the cap will go up once Corona is gone and um, the cap continues to go in the right direction. So I think, you know, the, the contracts look like a lot more money than they're actually going to be. Uh, the players won't see all that money that they signed for or that they agreed to sign for. So I don't think he overpaid on, on too many players. And all the players that he signed were all in that sweet zone, you know, ages 25 to 29. So they're all kind of in their prime. So I really don't think um, he overpaid given the players that he got because he's, it's not like he's paying older players based on past performance. He's kind of paying for people, for players that are like right in their prime. So um, some may say that it was an over overpayment, but I think, just based on the market for the first couple of days of free agency, I think uh, he did pretty pretty well given his circumstances. And also, one big thing: the log, the um, longest deal on here is four years. So all these guys are going to be here. You know, I think um, it's a good contract length for everyone considering the um, the circumstances. So uh, two to four year deals, I think, are great in terms of letting us have a lot of flexibility if things don't work out so we could potentially trade them and hit the reset button if we have to. So I think there's a lot of, um, like I said, flexibility that we have here in the next few years with all these signings. So anything else you guys wanted to add before we move on to March Madness? Uh, The one thing I would say is that like a lot of people have kind of been like freaking out about the Cam Newton $14 million deal, but I don't think enough people realize that like, the only way he's actually seeing all 14 million is basically if the Patriots win the Super Bowl. So if they do get that far and win it, obviously that $14 million is a great investment, but it's not like he's actually going to see all that money most likely. Like, I don't think we're actually seeing the Patriots as winning a Super Bowl, but I mean, if they go on and win it, Hey, it's a win-win for everyone in New England. Yeah. So like just one last thing based on free agency, it looks like we're also not done. It looks like we could still go after a running back. Uh, either Chris Carson or um, Leonard Fournette. 
Um, I wanted to kind of see what you guys had on that because I don't know about you guys, but Damian Harris looked pretty good last year, and I don't think we should spend money on a running back. I think we could still use that resources on another position. Did you guys like the rumors of the Chris Carson and um, Leonard Fournette? Mm-hmm. I, don't I don't really like. I don't I really think- like the running back rumors. Oh, sorry, Josh, but I don't. I don't really like the running back rumors. I don't know why, but I mean, obviously, James White is a free agent. I'm pretty sure Rex Burke has is also a free agent. So, I mean, right now, all we have is Sony Michelle, Damian Harris, and who is it? JJ Taylor, the like five eight, five nine guy. So that's our running back core right now. It, it does make sense to go after another one. I just don't know if Chris Carson or Leonard Fournette is the answer right now, especially with the question mark behind James White. Yeah, I don't see us actually signing another running back. If anything, I think we're probably going to end up drafting one in like the fourth or fifth round and probably a pass catching running back and pay, possibly use him in like a Shane Vereen-esque role. Um, but that also, last question I want to ask you guys, after the last two days, do you think there's any position that the Patriots now won't draft because we've addressed in the draft, um, we've addressed through free agency um, in the upcoming draft? So is there any position that um, you think kind of, these acquisitions rule out drafting a young guy in the draft in just a couple months or a couple weeks? Well, my hopes for Kyle Pitts have definitely taken a nosedive. I don't think we're going to get any more tight ends in this draft. Um, And I don't think we're going to draft any wide receivers. And I also think that's a good thing based on Bill Belichick's uh, past track record. So those two positions for me off the top of my head, definitely not a tight end, definitely not wide receiver. Um, yeah, I don't know about you, Chris. I see the Patriots drafting an offensive lineman. I I think it might be in the first round, but not exactly sure. I mean, it does help that Ted Karras and Trent Brown are coming back, but at the same time, we're losing David Andrews and Joe Dooney, who were like who are two of the starting offensive linemen. So I think the biggest need right now is that offensive line. And I, I think Bill is definitely gonna figure that out before it's too late. Mm-hmm. I disagree with you, James. I think that there is still a possibility of Bill getting a receiver in the upper rounds because on this roster still, we don't have a definitive number one receiver yet. I see a lot of, you know, solid number two, number three guys, but I don't see a definitive number one who's just the alpha of a, of a receiving group. So I would still leave the door open on that. Um, but other than that, I don't see us drafting any other tight ends. That's for sure. Um, we're probably going to draft another safety or a cornerback, but, um, like you said, Chris, I do think we're probably going to end up addressing the offensive line in the draft. I don't know if that's going to be first round or later rounds and find another gem like we did with Kylan Wenu, but anyway, moving on. Oh, go ahead, James. I was going to say the only reason why I don't think we're, I'm sorry. I keep on interrupting. The only reason why I don't think we're going to, um, go after a wide receiver in the draft is because I still don't think we're done going after receivers, I think, you know, it was reported that we we were outbid by the Cardinals for A.J. Green. So I still think there's plenty of good receivers left in free agency. So I still think we're going to go after a number one that way um, just because of, honestly, I think the Nikhil Harry project is still looming on everyone's mind. And I think Nikhil Harry is still getting lots of offers according to multiple reports. So maybe we can even flip him and then possibly – um, go still go after a number one in free agency. So that's the only reason why. Otherwise, if I think, yeah, as currently constructed, 
Uh, Nelson Aguilar is definitely not a number one. So if that doesn't happen, then I think we would probably draft someone. All right. Guys, I promise for like last three times, we are fun- we are definitely moving on to March Madness now. So in just a couple days, 64 schools are going to be going off against each other in Indianapolis. So what we're going to do, and also I want to put a disclaimer, at least for me, I haven't watched shit basketball all the year, so I'm just kind of winging it a little bit and throwing it up for a prayer and hoping I'm right. So I'm going based off past history and my knowledge. At least that's my position. I'm not speaking for Professor James here. But what we're going to do is we're going to read off our sweet 16s to compare um, and then list off who our final four and our champion is going to be, if that sounds all right. So, um, Chris, do you want to go first? Sure. All right. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at my bracket right now on my computer. So we're starting at Sweet 16. Are, so in the West region, oh, okay. which – I'm in Elite 8. I'm sorry, Chris. Elite, yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. My bad. So Elite 8 in the West region where Gonzaga is the number one seed. I have them going to the – yeah, I have them. I have Gonzaga going to the Elite 8 and in that conference facing number two Iowa. And I actually have Ohio oh, – Iowa, sorry beating them i i just i i'm not a believer in the perfect season after what happened a couple of years ago with kentucky in the final four losing to wisconsin then obviously with the patriots and the nfl i just can't see the undefeated season happening this year so i think gonzaga is going to get knocked out in the elite eight and then iowa also has this guy named luca garza who in the beginning of the season was tearing everyone up so i think he might continue that going on the other side in the south I don't know why I did this, but I actually have eight seed in North Carolina making the final four and beating Arkansas in the elite eight. Arkansas is a three seed. I don't know why. I just kind of feel like it's right to have one of those big blue schools in the final four. So that's kind of why I went with uh, North Carolina since it's between them and Kentucky since uh, them and Kansas rather since Duke and Kentucky are out. And then was it in the East? I have Michigan, who is also a number one seed, going against number six BYU in the Elite Eight. I don't really know why I picked this because I did hear that Michigan uh, is not that they're lacking. I think they actually are lacking depth. I forget who is injured, but one of their main guys is injured. I forget his name. I do like Alabama. They're the two seed in that in that like in that spot of the bracket, but for some reason I just have BYU beating them. I don't really know why but I kind of just like that for some reason. I kind of like Michigan, BYU. And then on the other side, Illinois, the little bit I've been watching about college basketball, Illinois has kind of been one of the most consistent teams all season long. They have someone, I forget his name exactly, but they have one guy who just pretty much gets a triple-double all the time. Then they have uh, another guy, Kofi Coburn, who has also been pretty good in, in uh, for Illinois the past couple of years. So I think uh, Illinois is also going to make it to the final four and they're going to beat Houston in the elite eight who Houston has been pretty good the past couple of years. So what is it? Basically Illinois, Houston, Michigan, BYU, and North, North Carolina, Arkansas, and then Gonzaga, Iowa. Those are my eight in the elite eight. Got it. All right, James, what about you? So like you, Josh, I am not the biggest NCAA um, sports fan. I don't follow it too close, but um, I do know enough to 
give a pretty good take on here. Um, so obviously in the Elite Eight, I do have Gonzaga. Um, obviously they're a powerhouse. They haven't lost yet. So, uh, and I agree with you, Chris. I don't believe it's it's way too hard to go undefeated. I don't see that happening. It's um, that really doesn't happen in sports. The only times that really does happen is that I can think of is the UConn uh, women's um, basketball team. Uh, but yes, I have Gonzaga versus Iowa, uh, the one and two, and I picked uh, Iowa because of Luca, like aforementioned by Chris. Um, and then I have Michigan versus UConn. I kind of have UConn as my Cinderella team. Um, I don't know if it's because they're from Connecticut and I'm being a homer or not, but I have them having a few upsets and uh, I actually have them beating Michigan in the elite eight to go against Gonzaga in the final four. Um, and then I have Baylor versus Ohio state, um, a one and two seed, and then Illinois versus West Virginia to complete my elite eight. And then for the final four, it ends up being Gonzaga versus Yukon, uh, one versus a seven seed, and then Illinois and Ohio State, um, which is a one and a two. So I, I kind of, I didn't go too crazy. I kind of made some safe picks here with some high seeds. I guess um, UConn would be my surprise team and my uh, my dart thrown at the board. Yeah, I like, I have a lot more similar bracket to you, James, than I do with Chris. I have a couple more sleeper teams on here. So in the West, for my elite eight, I have Gonzaga and I have Oregon. As I believe a Pac-12 team, I don't know which Pac-12 team will get in, but a Pac-12 team always is able to get pretty far. There's always one in the um, NCAA tournament that's able to get pretty far. This year, I think it's Oregon. You know, Pac-12 has been very competitive this year. Um, I think it was Oregon State who went out against Colorado in the championship. Oregon was also a very good team, and there's USC also in the tournaments, and um so I think a Pac-12 team is going to get pretty far. I'm predicting it's going to be Oregon. So I have Gonzaga and Oregon facing off in the West um, for my lead eight. Then in the East, I have Michigan. And like you, James, I also have UConn. Um, that pro, that basketball men's program, they're, um, they have a lot of sleeper runs. You know, they had one with Kemba Walker many years ago. Then they had another one with Baz Napier. And neither of those teams were um, higher ranking seats. They were all like four fifth or something like that so they were you know top tier seeds but they were able to make it all the way um and then in the south i have baylor and ohio state just like you james and in the midwest i have oklahoma state and houston um cade cunningham he plays for oklahoma state he is projected to be one of the top players in the nba draft so i he's going to be able to take i think he's going to be able to take um the cowboys as far as he can take them but in the end, for my final four, after all that, I have Gonzaga. I don't have Oregon beating Gonzaga, but I have Gonzaga making it to the final four against Michigan, who I have beating UConn. And then in the south, I have Baylor taking on Houston. So um, that's my bracket. Who do you guys have winning the tournament? Because I don't know why if you guys listed that off, but who's your eventual champion this year's upcoming March Madness? So – I don't like going with the one versus one seeds. I just feel like it's too like it's too crazy for it to actually happen like that most years. And most years it doesn't actually happen like that. But in my national championship, I actually have Michigan and Illinois. Still kind of confused as to why I pick Il- uh, Michigan rather because I I feel like I've read that they kind of have some injury issues. But n- then again, they have been they are a very deep team and they have been con- one of the more consistent teams all year long. So I have them beating Iowa in the final four. And then I have Illinois beating North Carolina. And I just have Illinois 
winning it all for some reason. I don't know. I just feel like I believe Illinois is in the Big Ten, and pretty, there are a bunch of Big Ten teams in the um, in the tournament this year. And I feel like it just might be the year that a Big Ten team wins it all because if I'm correct, they haven't won it in a very long time. I forget exactly when, but a Big Ten team has not won the tournament in a while. So I think this might be the year. And I mean, Illinois versus uh, Michigan, if I'm correct, is a Big Ten matchup. So that would be kind of cool to see. What about you, James? Yeah, I as well don't like picking a bunch of um, one seeds. Um, and the March Madness bracket, as everyone knows, is kind of a crapshoot and anything can really happen. So um, I have a really um, um, probably a not popular pick, but I have Ohio State versus um, UConn. I have Ohio State beating UConn. Um, so I have a, <laughs> that Cinderella story of UConn. If my bracket becomes true i mean it's gonna it's gonna take a lot otherwise it's probably gonna be busted pretty early but i do have ohio state the two seed over um the yukon huskies the seven seed that seems pretty realistic considering what we've seen just you know in general about march madness um i have michigan taking on houston and i have michigan winning 65 to 67 in the final so very different brackets but one thing i want to ask you guys just in general is there any just surprise or, you know, Chris, um, I don't know if you said any Chris, but James, you said UConn was like your Cinderella team. Who is your guys Cinderella team? You know, it doesn't have, they don't have to make it to the final four to be a Cinderella team, but is there any just really lower seed that you guys have defined expectations for? Um, for me, that team, it's in the same, con- like same region of the tournament as UConn, but it's actually Georgetown. Obviously, they have Patrick Ewing as their coach who used to play for them and led them to a national championship. I don't know why. I believe Georgetown went 5-5 five of five in their Big East tournament, if I'm correct. So I think they have a legit chance of just beating anyone if they just get hot. I think they're more likely to pull what UConn did a couple of years ago with Kemba Walker and whatnot than UConn is their self. But that, that would be my one sleeper team out of all the teams so in the tournament. Yeah, if I if I could have a sleeper team, it would probably be the 13th seed Ohio. Um, I have them winning a couple of upsets, uh, mainly first against Virginia and then the next round against Creighton. Um, I think that that offense is really high powered, and I think if they can get hot, um, sometimes that's all it takes in the March Madness bracket. There's just a team to gel and get hot. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, was it Florida Gulf Coast? Yep. Um, this was a while ago, but. Like, uh, yeah, you guys remember that team? It just seems like if you can get hot at the right time, um, you know, a team could beat anyone. So um, I'd pick Ohio there. Sorry, someone's pushing me off the road here. Um, and then um, what's my other team here? And I feel like the, the brackets that get the most upsets are the five and the 12. So I do have a couple of um, five, 12 over five upsets, like Georgetown, I have them beating Colorado. Um, and then I have nothing, nothing too crazy. I do have some 12 over fives, but I think, um, yeah, the team that sticks out to me is definitely Ohio with that high powered offense. Um, I don't know what you have, what you have, Josh. So, my sleeper team, I have the University of North Texas, who was the 13th seed, making it to the Sweet 16. I have them lose to Baylor. At, um, the last few years, there's been a team, they're not the same school, so you know, this is just kind of a wing and a prayer, but SF Austin, the last two years, 
that purple school from Texas has messed up my bracket more times than literally anybody else. So, and they've gotten pretty far. So even though I'm just picking like a smaller school from Texas to go pretty far, that's my, um, um, that's my sleeper pick because I'm just being screwed over by these smaller Texas schools. So I'm going with the University of North Texas, who's a very good defensive team. They're gonna get, they're gonna make it to the Sweet 16. I also have um, UC Santa Barbara making it to the round of 32. I have them losing to Virginia, but I have them beating Creighton. So anyway, that those are our upsets. Uh, oh my God, those are our upsets. Is there anything else you guys want to add? I also just realized after looking at my bracket again that I actually only have one five seed actually winning in the first round, and that would be Creighton. From what I've read, Villanova, they are missing their best player for the rest of the season, so it's going to be tough for them to win anything. And then on the other side, I have Oregon State beating Kentucky in the first round as a 12 over five upset. Don't know why. Then obviously Georgetown, who I touch upon, is also a 12 seed. And then like you said, or you had UC Santa Barbara, I have Creighton. That's my only five seed that I have winning. Don't know why I chose it like that, but I just have five seeds going down this year. All right. Well, that's going to be it. That's going to do it. We have a shorter episode this week. Just in a few minutes, you're going to be listening to the and finishing the conversation that me, Chris, and Celia had last week about, you know, the incredible dynasty that Boston has had the last two decades for sports. But anyway, that's going to do it for the current news this week. Thanks for listening. I'm Josh DePeel. That was Chris Lee was spinning in a chair with a pen in his mouth and then James Sampson on the road. So we're coming to you from a variety of locations this week, you guys. But um, anyway, thanks for listening and we'll see you guys next week. So like I said, we're going to have more of a discussion segment now about how essentially our generation grew up in really what was the greatest two decades for a city in terms of sports ever. I mean, we had Tom Brady um, come in and win six Super Bowls. He went to um, nine of them in New England. And then he, um, no, then we had the Red Sox finally break the curse that's just kind of infected their franchise for over just multiple decades. And then we had the Bruins win a chip, and then the Celtics continued to add on to how many championships they've won. I think the number is 17, or is it 16? I don't remember the exact number. 17. 17. Okay, so I want to ask both of you guys, what honestly was it like to live through this? And what was the peak moment of, you know, this two-decade era that we had of sports dominance? Oh, man. Well, what it... What it was like was pure bliss. I mean, I never took it for granted. And I think it was a big part of that was my dad and my mom, because my mom grew up in Boston. They would always say like, oh my God, back in the eighties, back in the, like, I think it was mainly the eighties. Um, the Patriots were awful. Like you guys didn't live through any of that. And I'm, and I was like, what? Like, what's that like? Um, I mean, like you said, I mean, we grew up and Tom Brady has basically been my quarterback my whole life. I mean, Drew Bledsoe, he was 
what year was that? I don't know what year it was, but I was very little. And so basically from what I can remember, um, Tom Brady has been my quarterback, our quarterback. Um, I think one of the first, I was about five years old when we broke the curse in 04, maybe five or six, probably like just turned six. So that was kind of like one of my first memories ever, like as a child, um, you know what, I just, when I say I never take it for granted is because, you know, we won so much. And I know like one thing we're going to talk about is like getting fatigued from winning too much. And I don't think that was ever, ever a thing for me. It was just more of like every single championship was just so different. Um, but I would say like a high point for me was 28 to three Super Bowl. Falcons I mean that was probably one of the best nights of my life I don't know if that's dramatic or like but that was probably the best party that I've ever been to better than any high school party that I've ever been to and probably one of the best nights of my life was that night right there what about you Chris so I don't know if you guys feel this way but I feel like the success of the past 20 years is kind of what led me into doing wanting to do a career and exactly what we're doing right now with sports like for that that was like a huge part for me I mean kind of like you said not taking it for granted I feel like I kind of did take those 20 years for granted because I mean all we have known is just constant winning our entire lives and like you said we've all had people say like oh back in our day they used to suck and like you just don't want to believe that but we're starting to turn a corner where that is starting to become true and it sucks. But <clears throat> one of the biggest things over the 20 past, over the past 20 years that I feel like I'm in the minority with is like ever since Tom Brady has left all Patriot fans, like just continually hate him, continually talk shit about him. A lot of them didn't even want him to win the Super Bowl. I'm like, how can you stay mad at him for what he did? He did made a business decision. The Patriots didn't want him back. So why, like, how can you get mad at him when the team didn't want him back? He did what was best for him. I just like, I can't, I don't understand Boston fans that like have negative or harsh feelings towards Tom Brady and like any player that leaves. I mean, every player that's come into the city that's won a championship, they're immortal. They're immortalized forever. So I think that's the, biggest thing for me and in terms of the 28 to 3 I would that is one of the crowd like better moments of the ch different championships this isn't even like the top moment I just I just remember during the Seahawks Super Bowl <clears throat> Jermaine Curse made that incredible catch with like a minute and a half going down the field put the Seahawks at the five and like we all like we're all thinking Seahawks are going to punch us and win the game like I'm right I'm getting ready to curl up in a ball, ball and start crying because like they are about to lose that game and then somehow like I I still don't remember if I actually watched the TV when the interception happened because I was just ready to give up and like call it a day like and like, this, just start like... crying yeah I was just starting like I was getting ready to start crying and then somehow just magic happened and like that was unbelievable but in terms of like the absolute my favorite championships I would have to say might honestly be a tie between 2018 Sox and the Patriots a couple months later. Cause I mean, that was my first like four months in Boston. They won two championships and there was two parades and like going to the Boston Commons, experiencing that, that was crazy. And just like the parades, it, it was just an amazing time. What about you, Josh? We're going to talk a bit more, um, focus a bit more on, uh, God, I can't talk. We're going to focus a bit more on baseball in a little bit, but speaking exclusively on football, um, I want to ask you guys first, 
What was the earliest memory of a Patriots um, game that you guys have? Phew. Probably not a good one. I think it was our first Giants Super Bowl. Yeah. I yeah, think uh, we were, what, like 11, maybe? Maybe. Nine, yeah, nine or 10 or 11. Yeah, that was, that was a horrible one. I think I remember, like, slamming my friend's, like, sliding door shut after they lost. I forget if it was 07 or 11. I remember slamming my friend's door shut and, like, storming out of my friend's house, and I got yelled at. Yeah, I was a sore loser. I was a sore loser that day. I mean, we were so young. I was, oof. Yeah, that was not pretty. And then it happened again, so. Yeah. What was was another one I remember earlier? I mean, I've only been to one Patriots game ever, and it was during the 16-0 season, where I think they, like, put up 50 on the now Washington football team. It was like fifty-two to seven or something. I remember that game. Mike Vrabel come touchdown that game. I remember that. That's the only game I've ever been to. But those are the earliest memories I have. What was it? The AFC Championship um, against the Broncos. It's Peyton Manning, Eli, or Peyton Man- Yeah, um, and Tom Brady. What year was that? That was like twenty thirteen, maybe. Which one are you talking about? The the one um, Peyton's last year? Or there was one. I think so. The one before. Okay. That was the, what was that? That was Super Bowl. That was, that year was Super Bowl 50. So that would mean it'd be 2015, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I remember watching that and that was like at the hype of like Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, like comparison era, which is weird to think Mm -hmm. about too. So a little bit of a personal story of mine. I know Celia knows this, I told her, but by, you know, being from California, People call, have called me a bandwagon Patriots fan before because I'm not from at all from the Northeast across the country. Me but, too, buddy. Um, Celia, you can share yours too right after this. But um, my dad was a huge Rams fan. So he, he loved Kurt Warner, um, Marshall Falk, the greatest show on turf. He loved all those guys. Isaac Bruce, Torrey Holt. Um, he grew up just, you know, cause he lived in LA for a little bit. So he was a big fan of when the Rams were in LA, but then they eventually relocated to St. Louis, but he still remained a fan. But I remember because of that first Super Bowl that Tom Brady won against the Rams way back in 2001, if I remember correctly, he has hated Tom Brady with a burning passion ever since. And, you know, just kind of for the relationship that I have with my dad. I always like to do the opposite of whatever he does. So I'm like, oh, he hates the Patriots. That's my team. So that's what I did. I, and the first, I think the first time I actually kind of started like not watching, but paying attention was when we lost the Giants in the Super Bowl in 2007. So my dad, we went to like a Super Bowl party and I'm like, oh, who won the game? And he's like, dad, my dad had just like this gleeful smile on his face. Oh, the, the Giants won. I'm like, oh, well, that, that sucks. Cause I didn't really watch football. The first year that I actually watched football like attentively was actually the year that Tom Brady got hurt <laughs> and Matt Castle was our quarterback for the whole season. We missed the playoffs. That was interesting. I think Pittsburgh won the Super Bowl that year, if I remember, against the Cardinals. But Sounds about right. Yeah, that was a great game. But anyway, um, and then the year after that, we were in the playoffs and we lost to the Ravens and Ray Lewis. That was the first year that Tom Brady got back. And that was it just pissed me off because I was just like, this was my first experience with the team and we were doing so good. Brady was back and, you know, I was frustrated. And then the year after that, we played the Jets in the divisional round, Rex Ryan's Jets. 
This was the game that Welker in the print, if you remember, Wes Welker went in a press conference and kept making fun of Rex Ryan's foot fetish or something like that. <laughs> and then um, Belichick suspended him for like the first series. But the Jets came into Foxborough and beat us like 28 to 21, if I remember correctly. But it was never really all that close. I've never been more frustrated just that I can remember. And then the year after that was – I think we lost to Baltimore again. I'm not remember, mm. sure if I remember correctly. It sounds that, right. That was frustrating. But then the year after, it's 2011. Um, we play the Ravens again in the Super Bowl. No, no, not the Super Bowl. We play them in the AFC Championship game again. And this was the game that Billy Cundiff missed that field goal that went off to the right end. I oh. think it was Lee Evans dropped a game-winning pass in the end zone in the fourth quarter what's his name uh god something sterling i don't remember but he was like he knocked it away um i'm forgetting the secondary guy's name this is like from nine years ago so i'm sorry if i'm wrong here but sterling sharp maybe but anyway he knocked out of lee evans hand then billy cundiff comes up misses the field goal off to the left i've never been more just ecstatic as a fan in my whole life and i was just so happy and then the week two weeks after that we play the giants again in the super bowl and when Man- the Manningham catch happened and then Ahmad Bradshaw kind of just leaned over and tipped into the end zone like a, like, anyway, that was, that was not a good day. I like, I turned the TV off cause I was so mad that I'm like, Oh, there's, there's going to, they're going to make the Hail Mary. Then the Hail Mary missed cause Gronk was also hurt in that game. Oh but, yeah. Um, I found out the name of uh, the guy you were thinking of Josh. It's uh Sterling Moore. Sterling, yeah, Sterling Moore. I got his first his name. name right. Sterling Moore. Yes. Um, but anyway, the greatest Patriot game that I can remember, I think, Chris, it was also the F- Super Bowl 49. I still have memorabilia from that game just hanging up in my room. Like, I have, like, a shirt that has all the player names. I don't know if you can see it, but I have, like, the shirt, like, over here. No, that's not it. Never mind. But that's, <laughs> that's a big like, baby. <laughs> um, um, you guys can't see it. The, uh, the audience can't see it. But I have, like, a poster that has, like, fake autographs of all the players in, like, 28, 24 and then, like, right below that, I have, like, the, like, a shirt that had, like, the full roster names of all the players. So, um, Silver Salaga, I'm, I'm completely blank on some of these guys' names right now. But Michael Humanawanui, if you remember that guy. Oh, yeah. Yes. But, um, yeah, that team was just um, – I think that was the most talented Patriots team I've ever seen. Just We had Revis. We had Browner, who's in prison, but we're not going to talk about that. We had Malcolm Butler as, like, a fourth – a fifth-round cornerback – and then who else did we have? We had Kyle Arrington, and then we Rivas. had Revis. What was that? Raul Revis. Yeah, Apparently. yeah. We had Revis, and then um, we had Hightower. We had Col- Collins was at the peak. J- Jamie Collins was the most talented linebacker I've ever seen. Just that we had when he was on that team, but you know yes, all those guys, and you know Brady came down the field, threw it to Edelman in the end zone for a touchdown in the fourth quarter. I'm super happy. Brady did it again. But then Seattle gets the ball, and you know I'm like, dude, this is they're gonna they're gonna win the game somehow again, just because of you know superstition in my head from you know the Giants Super Bowl and stuff, and against the Ravens and other stuff like that, and you know the curse catch happens. I'm just like, you know, I'm I'm shaking my head, uh, you know, SMH. I'm 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 frustrated. So and then I just I'm like dude you gotta let him score give Brady like at least a minute to go down but I just I don't see it happening they're playing the Legion of Boom and you know Dante Hightower makes the tackle that no one talks about on the one line 
to stop Marshawn Lynch right there. Fantastic tackle. And then I'm like, dude. And I'm like, Bill Belichick's not calling a timeout. So clock, the clock keeps on rolling and ticking and ticking. I'm like, I was screaming in my head at Bill Belichick. Like, what the hell are you doing, Bill? The clock is about to run out. We're going to lose another Super Bowl because you don't know what you're doing. I was just like, all these things are running through my head at the time. And then Malcolm Butler, and he makes a play. And I've just, I've never been or yelled as loud as I yelled when that happened. Malcolm Butler just jumps the route and everyone in the room, because I was surrounded by a bunch of people who hated the the Patriots, like a Raiders fan. I had my dad who was a Rams fan. And then a bunch of other people who just, they hate, everyone hates the Patriots. So I was completely alone. And I'm like the only one who's just gleefully happy when this happens. And everyone else just is like, has their mouths dropped open. And I'm just- I flipped the table, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it was, it was surreal. I just remember, like you said, Chris, like about to curl up in a ball because I'm like, dude, it's going to happen again. I can't take this. Like, this is. I think I remember flipping off my TV when that happened. Like, or not, not like when the play happened, but after the interception, I think it went to Richard Sherman and uh, Pete yeah. Carroll. And I'm just like, fuck you, And he's like, I. <laughs> I absolutely lost myself. I think I actually ran around my street like Tom in the Brady's middle of the reaction. night after that happened. Yeah, that was great too. Uh, I remember running around. I forget if it was that one or the twenty-eight to three. One of them, I literally like ran up and down my street with and just like sort jumped into a pile of snow without a shirt on, and it wasn't a pile of snow; it was a pile of ice, and so it just absolutely scratched me up, and it was horrible, but it was worth it at the time. Oh man, those were the days. <laughs> Chris, do you remember where you were for the twenty-five point comeback? Uh, same spot I was for the other one, which was in my living room at home. For some reason, I like I cannot do Super Bowl parties. To be completely honest with you, like, is like I just remember for like a span of four or five years straight, like some of my friends are just hanging out watching the Super Bowl, and it's when it's the, in, the Patriots are in it. Like I have to be home watching it like just in a quiet environment usually with my like with my parents like I don't know I just can't do a Super Bowl parties if the Patriots are playing in it I know um I don't know if you guys listen to Bill Burr but um he has a great thing on this like he doesn't like going to Super Bowl parties because this is my experience also like everyone doesn't talk about the game they always just talk about the commercials and then they talk about them during the game and then they shut up during the commercials. <laughs> and that, that's just kind of a lot of the audience that I was around. But um, you guys are more than welcome to join my Patriots parties. I will take you up on that when we're next in the Super Bowl 20 years from now. But, They're pretty insane. <laughs> um, aside from that fact, like the 25 point comeback, just I remember just kind of like being disappointed at least. I wasn't, I didn't have like the same reaction as I had during the Seattle game. Cause that was just so sudden and just like, Whoa, what just happened? Like the momentum completely shifted. That was more shocking. Yeah. The Falcon one was just like, wait, like I thought after 21 to three, I thought there was a chance we could come back But then Devonte Freeman scored and scored a touchdown. And then I'm like, dude, there's no way it's 28 to three. The game's over. And then like, they slowly started making steps to get back in this game. And I'm like, dude, if they get this, and they can, and I'm like, whoa, like my, it was like a slow reversal. I'm like, whoa, this is really happening. But it wasn't like instantaneous, like what it was in Super Bowl 49, at least. I, 
But I remember oh, – my bad. But I remember at the halftime of that Super Bowl against the Falcons, I remember seeing someone tweet. They're like, we're about to witness the greatest comeback of all time. And, like, I tweeted back at the person. I'm like, yeah, you're not wrong whatsoever. Like, I tweeted it jokingly, not thinking it was actually going to happen. And then so I'm just like, all right, let's watch this comeback unfold. And then somehow it actually did. I think once Edelman made that crazy catch, I think they were still down at that time. They were still losing when he made yeah. that catch. I think, I think at that moment, everyone just knew that, like, the game was over. And then also, going back to Dante Hightower, another play that is never talked about is the, what was it, the forced fumble he had on Matt Ryan that game. That was, like, one of the other big plays where you're like, all right, Patriots are probably going to come back and win this somehow. Well, they always said once they got the ball in overtime. That's I think Edelman was the one to say it. They said once yeah. we got the ball, I knew we were winning this. I mean, that was yeah, that was a given. Once they got that ball, yeah. they knew the game was over. But, but like, even before that, like even when they were still down, you still had hope. They're like, you're like they're gonna pull this out somehow. I think that like somewhere in between, like the helmet cat or no, not his helmet cat, his um bobbling of the fingers. I think somewhere in between that and um. Dante Hightower, I think some people started to get hope because I remember I was with a bunch of people and they, they were, they were gone. They were totally like, we're done. And I'm like, come on guys. Like it's Tom freaking Brady. Like, no. Um, and then just something clicked, I think in all of Pat's nation, or at least most of, most of us were just like, oh my God, like we can actually do this. And I don't think we realized how big it was until after like, it happened that that was the biggest comeback of all time. I didn't even think about that. I just wanted to win the freaking game. And I was like, holy shit, we just did that. But yeah, you're right, Josh. Like the, the um, Seattle Super Bowl, that one was a little bit more like shocking and like, like spur of the moment, like insane craziness. And I think with the Atlanta Super Bowl, like it was just, it was almost like almost too nerve wracking to like even enjoy. You know, everything happened so fast, and I don't, I don't know. It, you can't compare the two, but then also, if you look at, like, the idea that we had already had that incredible Super Bowl um, two years prior, so we were almost just kind of, like, spoiled at that point watching watching the um, – which Super Bowl was it? Was it 50 – talking which about the one? Atlanta one? 51. 51. 51, yeah. Like, we were almost spoiled and, like – watching it like oh yeah like whatever like we already did that climbed over mount everest a few, few years ago like what's to say we can't do it again so i think in terms of like enjoying it they're different but like that seattle one was just i'll never forget that moment of like standing up flipping the table dropping beers and like hugging my dad and all my friends it was it was it was insane in the moment i definitely enjoyed at least the second half of the atlanta game a lot more than i enjoyed the the Seattle Super Bowl, yeah. like, because I'm like, whoa, like that when they got that two point conversion with Amendola right before time expired, I'm like, dude, holy crap, like, <laughs> yeah, point conversions, like they had to get two of them in the fourth quarter, and they did it. And I'm like, how the hell did you guys do that? How? Um, but hold on, on a different note, was it so for the Atlanta Super Bowl? My aunt is from Atlanta and like has lived in that area her entire life. And I'm pretty sure I'm her only nephew and I'm her least favorite nephew because of that Super Bowl. Like every time I get the chance, I just bring it up to her. I remember a couple of years ago when I saw her, I had my, I had a 28 to three hat hidden in my bag. I'm like, Oh, Hey, aunt, aunt, you want to see something cool? I just pull out the hat. 
she wanted to murder me in that moment, but it was probably one of the fun- funniest things I've ever seen. Good times. I love gloating. Moving okay. on a little bit, I think the next best game that we saw was probably the Jacksonville AFC Championship game. That was the year right after. That was a great yeah. comeback as well, if you guys want to talk about that a little bit. Um, but then right after that, I think a, a lot of air got taken out of it, considering that we lost to the Eagles in the Super Bowl that year. So I don't mm-hmm. think people remember that game as much. Mm-hmm. Then the year following, I think, I think it was the year following, is when we went into Arrowhead and we beat Patrick Mahomes. And that was just – that's the greatest, I think, Patriots game that I've seen since – um, the 20 come back and then yeah. the um, Super Bowl 49. The Super Bowl wasn't that entertaining. It was like, it wasn't that bad, but you know, it was like, I thought it was, you know, at least a good defensive game. I didn't think it was like unwatchable, like a lot of people were saying on yeah. social media during the game and stuff. But I think if you're not a true football fan, you didn't really enjoy that game just because there wasn't any offense but like if you are a true football fan like you appreciated the defense in that game like I I feel the same way like people always talk about how boring that game is I'm like if you actually watched it you were like like on your feet anxious the entire four quarters like that was like I mean like most Super Bowls for the Patriots it's never figured out until like the last drive but that was still one of the better ones that I've ever seen just because of all the defense played in it and then going back to the year prior when they lost the Eagles, that was just no defense whatsoever. And like, I don't know why, but for that Super Bowl loss, like, I was just like, all right, we lost, like, what the hell? Like, I wasn't even that mad for some reason. What about you, Celia? Did you have, like, the same reaction? Well, yeah, a little bit. I mean, I was upset because I believe we were all freshmen. And so that was, like, my first year in Boston. And, like, I part of the reason I moved here was to, you know, experience – you know, what Chris talked about is like the parades and walking around the Boston Common. And luckily we had that two times in like a couple months, but yeah, no, I remember just kind of watching that game and just kind of just, I kind of went into that game having a feeling. I don't know how to describe it, but I just kind of knew that we weren't going to come out on top. I don't know why, but. You're talking about the Eagles one? Yeah, that's what you were talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah, there was just something early in that game where Mm -hmm. you're just like, it just doesn't feel like it's going to go our way. I I know exactly how you feel because I felt the exact same way. I think one of the main things that game was, who was it? Brandon Cooks getting absolutely destroyed and getting that concussion that game. I think that just like completely changed the entire game around. When was that again? That was what, the first? Yeah, it was early in the game. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, that was the Super Bowl. Edelman wasn't even um, – Yeah. Because he was hurt that year with the His ACL. Whole season, basically. Yeah. Gronk absolutely destroyed the Eagles secondary, though, that game. He was amazing. Yeah. Um, but touching on also the Eagles Super Bowl, I was like – when Brady got the ball, I post. I even posted this on my Snapchat. I was gloating because, like, the last four years that we had of success. Like, Tom Brady got the ball. There's, like, two-something minutes left. And I'm like – Post on my Snapchat a picture of the puck. I'm like, oh, they left too much time left. So I was oh, like, yeah. for sure, like completely, complete faith that Brady was going to go march down the field and win this game. Because he's already beaten the Eagles before. So I'm like, oh, that rationale is running through my head. So, and then Otto, I don't remember who it was, Randy Graham, who comes in and just forces the fumble. And I'm like, I've just never been so dumbstruck in my life about like a moment that I've watched. If so. that fumble never happened, they were easily winning that game. Yeah. Like it was too clear. 
Yeah. I think that was just the football gods, like, giving Patriot fans, like, a little bit, a little taste of their own medicine. <laughs> Leveling the playing field. EDP 445 yeah. happy for once. <laughs> oh, no. <not laughs> oh, that was a tough one. But, like, it, like I said, like, I just, I wasn't even that mad when they lost that one. It was like, oh, fuck, they lost, whatever. Be yeah, back I was next disappointed, year. but you kind of were just like, eh. Also, um, what, last thing I want to touch on, like, you know, at least for the Patriots, that drive that he had in Arrowhead, I don't remember if it was an overtime, but where he had three straight third down conversions, I think might be my favorite. It might be my favorite Tom Brady drive up there with the um, one to take the lead in Super Bowl 49. I don't know. I go back and forth between the two, but those two drives are just absolutely amazing. Um, that game was great. Bill, that was the best Bill, Co- um, Bill Belichick coached game I've ever seen also. Like, at least in the first half, they completely played takeaway from Patrick Mahomes. Running the ball with Sony Michelle, they dominated time of possession, but Patrick Mahomes is just absolutely unreal. And he scored in, like, 30 seconds to tie the game, and then we went into overtime. But if we didn't win that coin toss, we would have lost that game. That's just – that's that's – now that you say that, I just thought of something. So, like, that game where the Patriots went into Arrowhead and won that game, I wonder if going into this year's Super Bowl, if Brady remembered that and he's like, oh, hey, I kind of have an idea of how we can stop Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs and he told Bruce Arians and the Cardinals defense how to do it. I wonder if, like, I wonder if that popped into Brady's mind. Because, I mean, yeah, that was, that was one of the few, like, that AFC championship game, that first half was, like, the first time the Chiefs were being stopped by anyone. And so maybe Brady had something to do with it, with the Bucks' success on defense this year. Never I mean, know. he wouldn't be Tom Brady if he didn't study, 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 you know? Yeah, that's true. So that's, yeah, definitely a possibility. I think that Super Bowl title where we won, I guess, the Rams, that's out of the six. I, I like, attribute most of them to Tom Brady, but I think that's the sole one, despite, you know, Brady being amazing in Arrowhead. I think that's the one where I contribute the most to Bill Belichick because he coached mm-hmm. the hell out of that team considering the struggles they had in the regular season. They were just dominant in the playoffs, which was amazing. So he did a fantastic job. So, you know, anyway, uh, moving on a little bit, we're going to talk about baseball now. We're going to talk about the Red Sox. Um, they won – the World Series four times um, since 2004, 2004, 2007, 2012, and then 13. 2000. Oh, was it 13? Yeah. Yeah, yeah 2013, and then 2000 and tw- no, 2018. Why did I just say 2021? <laughs> it's been a long day. So long night. Long two. Long, night, long two hours on here. <laughs> um. So we're going to talk about the Red Sox now. What for you was your guys' favorite Red Sox World Series championship? You can go first because I'm fixing my AirPods. Yeah. Um, Okay. So like I said earlier, I love and I have a great um, video. What is it? I don't even know what they're called. It's not a VHS tape. It's like a CD, DVD, DVD. Wow, I can't believe I just forgot it. what a DVD is called, um, of that whole series against the Yankees, um, that in 2004, I mean, that is crazy, but I don't really remember it as much, I was really young, but like, looking back on it, you know, the bloody sock, it's just legendary, but I think for me personally, I'm kind of torn between 2013 and 2018, 2013 kind of more so has to do with what Boston as a city kind of went through that year 
Um, you know, I'll never forget Big Poppy's speech. You know, this is our fucking city. Like, I just love it. It gives me goosebumps. It makes me want to run through a brick wall. But, I mean, if you're talking about the 2018 season, what, what was it? How many... What was the, what did we do that year? I'm like blanking right now. My yeah. I mean, Mookie was on fire. Um, you know, I mean, it was just such a fun team to watch. I mean, I don't know if anyone saw this on Twitter the other day um, when Jackie Bradley Jr. was, it was announced that he was going to be leaving. I'm sure we're all, we've all seen the office. I know Chris, you're a big office guy. There was that little, it was like a meme, but it was like a little like, like quote thread thing. And it was like Andy from the office saying, you know, I wish um, you knew that you were in the glory days, like before that they were gone. And then it just showed like Jackie Bradley, Andrew Benatendi, Brock Holt, like all just like dancing together. And I just feel like that season kind of like, is like the epitome of that little like friendship. So I would say like probably 2018, but also 13 meant a lot for me just personally being from Boston in a way. So 2018, it's one of my favorites. Like I said earlier with the Patriots, just because that was like the four month span of two championships and two parades. I mean, that entire playoff run, it was like one of the better ones out of the four, I would say 2013 with everything that happened with the marathon and everything like I like from that day of like the marathon bombings, like you kind of just had a feel in the Red Sox were going to win it all. And like, they weren't even supposed to that year really. Yeah. But I think that like was one of the biggest reasons why they did. 0704. Like I obviously don't remember too much of it, but I'm trying, in terms of my favorite, I don't want to go to 2018 since it's the most recent one, but I might have to. I did you were there for it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I like, it kind of is my favorite. So, I mean, I guess I would go with it. 2013 was an amazing run, though. Like, Johnny Gomes. Oh, yeah, honestly, now that I think about it, 2013 takes the cake because I remember specifically. <gasps> oh, and the. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, that game. Me and, like, I was at a beach house in Rhode Island with my family. Like, it was me, my, my parents, my sister, and then my cousin and his family. And it's like 11 30 12 at night me and my cousin are the only two people up in the house we're watching the red Sox, and like that ortiz hits that grand slam me and my cousin start screaming losing our shit and someone ran out and living room like is everything okay out here we're like yeah we're good red Sox are just red Sox are tied the game like we just lost it so i think because that literally every year that like every year where it's like the anniversary of that play i always text my cousin about it because like Oh. We can never forget that. So I I'll think never forget 2013 it. 2013 might have to be my favorite. I'll one up. At least for me, 2004 and 2007, those titles were a bit before my time. I wasn't, you know, super in tune to baseball, but I watched ESPN did a 30 for 30 on the 04 Red Sox, and it's mm-hmm. absolutely amazing. I recommend you watch it. They go through the whole AL, um, ALCS series against the Yankees, and, you know, just it, I think it starts off with um, the, I don't remember what, it starts off like after th- at the Yankees take a 3-0 lead, great comeback fit. Anyway, watch that show. It's a great 30 for 30 documentary. But anyway, at least for me, between 2013 and 2018, I think we talked about that Ortiz grand slam. It's number one, it's my 
Google Chrome wallpaper. Like you can customize Google Chrome and make it like your homepage, like a GIF. And that's, I made like the GIF for Ortiz is hitting that hit. But anyway, Love um, it. 2013, I just remember, because people also forget that game was on a Sunday. So the Patriots also played earlier that day. And the Saints, I don't know if you guys remember, but the Saints were in town. Drew Brees was playing Tom Brady in New England. And the Saints almost beat us, but Brady, like, missed a couple shots, like, uh, missed on a couple fourth quarter drives. And then he got the ball back one more time, and he drove down the field and threw it to Ken Brown Tompkins. That's a name I haven't said in a long time. But he threw it to Ken Brown Tompkins in the end zone to win the game with, like, five seconds left. And that was just amazing like I didn't think anything could top that even though we had the ALCS later just that day but I'm, I'm just like super ecstatic about the Patriots win then I took turn on the Red Sox game they were I don't remember if they won game one I don't remember what game it was I think it was game two it was, yeah game two of that grand slam yeah I thought I don't know if they were down or they were up in the series I think well the game itself I'm sorry my phone's just spazzed out um yeah we were down that game but i think in the series we were down okay yeah i think so verlander pitched game one if i remember verlander was just at his peak at the time and then scherzer was on the mound the tigers by the way underachieved considering how talented that freaking team was miguel oh, Cabrera, yeah. uh, who prince fielder was on that team too they had verlander and scherzer i mean geez the rotation was stacked and i'm pretty sure it was like four five porcello price Scherzer, Verlander, Hannibal Sanchez. God, that Detroit team was ridiculous. But um, anyway, I think that – I don't remember. But anyway, we were down, and, you know, it was 5-1. to And, you know, I'm still kind of high on the Patriots win that they had earlier the day. But then Ortiz walks up. Scherzer's been dominant, like, the whole game. Like, Like, the Red Sox have been kind of getting by just on walks and stuff. And then they bring in Joaquin Benoit. And then I don't remember who the Fox commentator was, but then he's like, Ortiz has never faced Joaquin Benoit in his career or something <laughs> like homered that. Off I, I never homered. Who is the guy? Oh my God. He retired it's, after that or like the year after that. I don't remember. It's but, not Joe Buck, but like he did the it game. It was his with partner. Him. It was his color commentator with Joe Buck. I'm going to have to search that up. It's, I, I need to figure out the but name. He, he call, he's like, he calls like, oh, he's never faced or no, he's never homered off Joaquin Benoit. The bases were loaded. I don't remember if it was two outs or not, but Ortiz walks up. First pitch, Benoit throws a fastball down and away, and freaking Ortiz smacks it over the right field wall. And then that iconic cop pose where oh. Torrey Hunter just – yeah, they had Torrey Hunter too, but anyway, even though he was old. <laughs> um, he leaps over the wall. He, like, injures his head. And then the cop's just, like, celebrating, and he's too busy to go out and help Torrey. I just <laughs> – it was a surreal moment. That like, I, I that was like the first time I think I actually yelled in like watching a baseball game. Like it's it was like it was just so crazy because we were down four runs, then we were tied, one pitch after Scherzer comes out of the game. It was awesome, um, and that whole team was awesome. We had Ellsbury, we had yeah. Gomes. Who was Gomes. our baseman? I don't remember. Um, gosh, I don't remember. But oh, it was Napoli. Remember Mike Napoli? Napoli. Um, we had, Gomes. yeah, we had John. Dude, Johnny Gomes had the weirdest batting stance. It was like I loved that. That um, was it Sports Ill? Yeah, he was very like wobbly. Yeah, he had weird. That stance. picture of him, like I think he's on third base. Um, oh, he just hit Sports bomb. Illustrated cover. I love yeah. that. I had that framed. 
And that was the rookie year of Xander Bogarts, who has become just a hallmark of the Red Sox organization since then. He used to wear number 99. It's like, it looks so weird now looking back. It was like 72 or something. Well, it was like a weird ass number. Yeah. I don't remember. But um, anyway, I don't remember who our third baseman was. I think it was Xander. But then. Will, Will Middlebrooks. Will, oh, yeah. Will Middlebrooks. Follow him on Twitter. He's fun on Twitter. Come on our show, Will. We would love to interview you. But anyway. Um, we had Stephen Drew, who couldn't hit worth a damn. But good God, he had the greatest glove ever. Like, oh yeah, talk about Jackie Bradley Jr. being just a, such a defensive stalwart. Stephen Drew was even more so. Like, he was like Jackie Bradley Jr. times two in the infield. Like, he couldn't hit worth anything, but he could feel like just he saved so many runs with his glove. It was amazing. Totally. I remember during that playoff run in 2013, there was literally a Twitter account saying, did Stephen Drew get a hit? Because, like, he must have had, like, two or three hits the entire playoff. So, like, <laughs> every time it was just like, no, no, no. And then he hit he hit a monster home run. I forget what game it was, but he hit a huge home run. And it just completely changed the game. And then that account started going crazy after that. That was funny. fun. And then later on in the World Series, we beat the Cardinals – and Ortiz, just the offensive performance he put on in that series, he he hit like point six seven five or some huge. Ridiculous. It was absolutely – it was probably one of the greatest World Series performances ever, just how good he was. You know, they even took out Napoli and put Ortiz in in the National League because there's no DH just because of how well Ortiz was. I mean, he was having like two hits every single game. It was ridiculous. But, you know, 2013 – was kind of a story of redemption because, you know, we were last the previous year and with Bobby Valentine, good Lord, Bobby Valentine. And then the year before that, we just com- a complete collapse. If I remember, I think it was the year before with, that was the last year Terry Francona was in Boston, just mm-hmm. a complete collapse by the Red Sox at the end of the year. And then 2013, we, it was just a comeback for the whole city and the whole organization. But 2018, that was just dominance. Like that was the most, the amount of talent on that team was yeah. amazing. I mean, they had like, they, they just start off on real, wasn't it like 16 and two or something crazy to yeah. start off 2018? Like no one was stopping them from day one, but was it, you mentioned Bobby Valentine, my lone memory from that season of 2012, besides it being the hundred year anniversary of Fenway park and the Red Sox absolutely being horrible. I remember one of the few games I went to that year was, like either a day or a couple of days after the huge trade that sent Adrian Gonzalez, Josh Beckett, and others to L- to the Dodgers. Like I went to a game two or three days later, and uh, what was it? Bobby, like something happened. Bobby Valentine ends up going out yelling at an umpire, getting ejected, and Fenway Park gave the man a standing ovation for getting ejected because that's just like the city of Boston hated him, and I <laughs> will never forget that. Was Carl Crawford – in the Dodger trade also with Adrian Gonzalez. Oh, oh my God. That was such a failure. Oh, no. Carl. I, contract. I, like, I used to love slash hate him when he was on the Rays Cause like he would just destroy the Red Sox and he comes to Boston and, and like, we're thinking we're getting the nasty Carl Crawford and just stunk. Yeah. Just, you know, you guys, I would like to ask you guys, I don't know. Um, in tw- I think it was 2011, the year that Jacoby Ellsbury, was an MVP, or I don't remember if he won MVP, but he was an MVP candidate um, with Adrian Gonzalez. And then in 2018, Mookie was MVP. 
I might be getting the dates wrong, but Mookie was MVP. Do you guys think the season by Ellsbury um, was better, or do you think Mookie's was better when they were both named MVPs? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Mookie's definitely, since he actually won the award, but I'm searching up right now. It says he was an all-star in 2011, so I'm guessing that's the year he was the candidate. I feel like Mookie was more of a powerhouse when it came to his, like, hitting um, – but at the same time, like, we can't talk about Jacoby Ellsbury without talking about how freaking vital he is, you know, on the yeah. run game. Like, he's so fast, and I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, the Yankees were pretty attracted to him. Um, swooped him in. That was – when was when did he go to the Yankees? That was very after, – right after, after the 1-13. Right yeah. yeah, right after that, which I don't understand. Josh, um, I'm, oh, sorry, but – I'm looking at it. Ellsbury finished second in MVP voting in 2011, losing to Justin Verlander. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. That was also the mega collapse year in September. Mm-hmm. That still hurts to this day. Yeah. That was bad. I remember us having to root for the Yankees at the end of the year. They were playing the Rays. And like <laughs> the season came down to us rooting for the Yankees, and the Yankees couldn't even <laughs> couldn't even do it. You know. That was that that year sucked. That was one of the lone years where I'm just like this hurt, you know, mm. talk about the success in Boston sports. That was one of the years, maybe deservedly so, considering how much winning we've had, where it was just like a reality check to how hard it is to win and just how good the teams have been um, just during these last two decades. So, um, yeah. I told either you my uh, Jacoby Ellsbury story about Twitter. I think I might have told you this, Celia. I'm not sure if I told you this story, Josh, but was it? It was the offseason. The Red Sox won the World Series. Then he goes and signs with the Yankees. And, like, he just tweets out, Happy New Year's, everybody. And I just quoted the tweet. I'm not going to repeat the word that I said in the tweet, but I called him something that I shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. And I woke up the next morning, and he had me blocked on Twitter. So Nice. That's one of my favorite Jacoby Allsbury stories. That's kind of, like, some people, like, they enjoy getting blocked by, like, famous people on Twitter. They, like, find yeah. it kind of an honor. <laughs> would you guys – this is, like, a question. I don't know what you guys are going to say, but would you guys rather win the World Series or have a fan fr- a fan favorite go and play for the Yankees? World Series. Wait, what was the second part? Would you rather win a World Series or have a fan favorite like a David Ortiz or, like, a Mookie go and play for the Yankees? Oh, when you put it like that – would like I rather win a World Series? Yeah. What would would you there's so would you rather have your team win the Red Sox win a World Series, uh-huh. or would you rather, um, like you'd have to do it interchangeably. Like you would not if you saw I'm I don't know, I I feel like this is not a very good comparison. I'm throwing this together off the top of my head. But if you win a World Series, you also see, would you um, win a World Series if it came want to win a World Series if it came at the cost of losing a fan favorite to the Yankees like uh, Mookie or Ortiz, or would you rather not win a World Series but keep the players on the Red Sox? Well, it depends on the player. If it was someone like Ortiz, I'd probably – I don't know. I mean, we've already lost Mookie, so. Chris, you said World Series? Yeah, because, I mean, we've seen it already a couple times. Yeah, Obviously, yeah. I mean, that we're talking about, Johnny Damon, Kevin Euclid. We've seen players – obviously, it's not when they were at their peak, but we've seen players go from – Red Sox, the Yankees. And I mean, as long as they win a World Series before they go over there, who cares? 
Something my dad always taught me, and this was the soccer fan in him, but he always said support the team and not the players because players come and go. So, yeah, that's a good point. That's a true statement, but not for Tom Brady. Yeah. I still support Tom Brady always. Oh, yeah. Coming back to what you said earlier, um, I don't necessarily think that people – some people were mad. You know I was a little, like, sour at first, but I don't think it's necessarily people – Patriots fans were mad at him. I think they were just really sad and upset. And it's like seeing like your ex-boyfriend, like, or your ex-wife or whatever, like marry and start a new family or like your dad leaves you and starts a new family. So it's, it's, it's sad, but I could never, ever be like mad at Tom Brady. People were rooting against him in the Super Bowl. I, I couldn't root against him. And especially, I don't want Patrick, like, I don't want anyone to make the, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is great. And he, in a few years, yeah, he's, 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 you know, competing for, I don't want to say the best or the goat, but at the age he's at, it's, it's possible, but I didn't, I wasn't ready for people to make the comparison of Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. So I, I was team Brady Super Bowl. It was hard to watch, but I couldn't let that happen. Going on. The um, relationship, sorry, Celia, but going off the relationship analogy, like they didn't, it wasn't like a really bad breakup. Like Brady left, but he's, you know, he was really thankful for everything and all yeah. that. Like, so they broke up amicably. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like he totally dissed the city and just like dipped, kind of like AP did in Oakland or something like that. So it was, it, you know, like, like you said, it's like seeing an ex, but an ex that you were happy with, you had a great relationship with, now they're starting and they're successful. Like, you can't be mad at that. You're like, you're happy for them. So I think that's yeah. kind of the feeling that everyone had for um, Brady last year, at least in Boston. Uh, Jacoby Ellsbury blocked me on Twitter. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. I, I just I, don't want to say the uh, exact word I used that day because I was a young me, young, immature me. Oh, Chris. Last two um, things I want to touch on real quick, because we've talked a lot about the Patriots and the Red Sox championships. What about the um, Bruins and Celtics? We're going to kind of combine this for the sake of time, but do you guys remember, um, Faley, how much or how um, impacted you were by the Bruins and the Celtics both winning um, championships? Bruins, yes. Celtics, not so much. I just, yeah. I remember like waking up the next morning and the Celtics were champions and I was happy. I remember I got like a specialized Kevin Garnett Celtics finals jersey, but I do remember like the Bruins both with their win and their losses in like that three-year span. Pretty impactful. I think one of the days I had a baseball game, so that's the only reason why I remembered the win. But other than that, not too much compared to the Sox and Patriots just because of how much they've won compared to the Bruins and Celtics. I kind of agree. Like, and also we were, we were pretty young. I think we I think the Celtics was before the Bruins. I think Bruins was 2011. Um, But I mean, I'll never forget. Like I actually was watching, I think it was a school night. I do remember that. I was in like middle school. I'll never forget like Kevin Garnett, anything is possible. (laughs) Like, so that's like a staple moment for me when I think about that championship um I don't know if you guys can like get this impression but out of all of the I guess sports and teams I think basketball is probably like probably last on my list in just terms of like what I grew up watching um but you know the Bruins have always just been 
really fun to watch. And what you mentioned um, earlier, Josh, just like playoff hockey is just, just a different level of fun. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we had a lot of the same guys that we did. I'm trying to think of who was on that team, like Bird, Bergeron, um, Tuca. I'm trying to think of anyone else that might have been on that team, but it's been a while. Tim Thomas. What? Tim Thomas, goalie. Yeah. In yeah. 2011. Okay. Oh, so Tuca, yeah, Tuca's young. Was he even on the team? I actually searched this up like a week ago, because or a week or two ago, because I was curious. So, I believe Tuca was on the team when they won yeah. in 2011, but he didn't play. But when they played, when they got back to the finals in 2013, he was the goalie. Okay. Let's see who else we've got on there. Um, was it uh, not not Joe Thornton? It, wasn't there another guy named Thornton or something? Sean Thornton, maybe. Corvo. Uh, Sean Thornton, Canadian ice hockey player. But yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I don't know if it's whether like the the Red Sox and Patriots won more, but I think for me it was just like when I think of Boston sports, the first two teams I think about are like the Patriots and the Red Sox. Um, but I mean, those every single championship is something I'm grateful for, and every memory is, is different. And um, I think I think those two teams might be the closest to bringing us our next championship we'll see oh yeah you know i think it might be the celtics who knows i mean the bruins came close a couple years ago but i think we were talking about this a week or two ago the bruins are probably the most likely to win next and obviously the celtics also have the best the next best chance but like one of those two teams is going to be bring the next trophy back to boston the eminent future for those two teams is set up the best out of all um the red sox yeah Mm -hmm. guys um, at least for hockey, I don't think I can speak on that considering I just, like I said earlier, I didn't have much access to hockey when I was growing up and I wasn't much of a big thing for me. So I don't know mm-hmm. if I can really speak to the Bruins championship, but the Celtics championship, I vaguely kind of remember, but I wasn't really in tune with basketball. Cause like I knew like, cause I am from Sacramento, like I've said multiple times, we had the Sacramento Kings time to take my daily little show shot at the Sacramento Kings, but we've been asked for so many years, man. Like it's kind of just completely like maybe like not care about basketball. So, you know, I kind of gravitated more to players rather than teams. Like I was a huge fan of um, the thunder when James Harden, Westbrook and Durant were mm-hmm. all there. I loved that team. Like I really, cause I just, I loved how exciting they were to watch. Westbrook is still probably my favorite player. So I, I love Russell Westbrook so much. I, Kevin Durant's kind of faded from my view a little bit with all the Golden State crap. But um, and Harden's a flopper now. I just things fell apart. But anyway, um, yeah, that those two championships. I don't know if I had a much um, as much emotional investment in them as I did for the Red Sox and the Patriots. But, you know, I'm still very grateful that we did it. Like, we can say it. We kicked every other city in America's butt in every single major sport in the last two decades at least once. So Uh um, it's good to brag about. Very good to brag about. So going off that, do you guys feel that there – Celia, you touched on it a little bit. Do you guys feel that there's just been a fatigue or, like, just – we've won so much that it's kind of diluted how much it means to win a championship. 
don't think there's any fatigue because I think each championship, like the feeling of that win just gets better every time. I think that's how I see it. There's definitely no fatigue from winning. Like you can never, you can never get enough winning in my eyes. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I mean, I, when I think of that question, I think about all the times, like, like I said, I hosted a lot of like Patriots parties at my house over the years. That's just what my family does. And we have a lot of people over and I think about like Super Bowl Sunday and like going to the store, getting the chicken wings, getting the beer and all that stuff. And like, it just doesn't get old. And like, you know, what also doesn't get old is that feeling of the, like the morning and the hours before of just like that feeling in your chest, like, especially with Super Bowl Sunday, like, cause it's one game. And I mean, it doesn't get old, but I mean, fatigue is an interesting word because maybe it's like, you know, we're used to it and maybe it's open. It's almost like weird if we're not in the championship, like run that year, um, which is kind of saying a lot and like speaks to how spoiled we've been. But I mean, like Chris said, it just, it just, it really doesn't get old. It doesn't get old, but I think at least for the Super Bowl side, Tom Brady has made it look so easy that it's just like the expectation for him is just set so high. Now I'm like, yeah, we didn't win the Super Bowl. Like, are you kidding? Like, he's won so many times that it's just like it's, it's he set unrealistic expectations for himself just because of how good he's been. Because mm-hmm. like I, we talked about, like in the Eagles Super Bowl, like I thought he was gonna go down the field and the, on that last drive and win the game, and then I'm like, what just happened? So you know, like good Lord Cleveland, man, when the when LeBron won the championship in Cleveland. The amount it meant to that city was just unreal. And then when the Cubs won the championship, yeah. that was it meant so much to their city. And we've just won so many times. So I, it's just seeing how there's definitely, I think, a difference in fan bases between how much a single championship can mean for a fan base. Like the Dodgers winning this last year in the World Series, they're, they're just fans were just rubbing in everyone's faces like, we finally won a chip. We are so happy. Then the Red Sox fans are just like, okay, next. Like, you know, you, yeah. we, you took our player to do it, but. Um, the Blues, St. Louis Blues. I mean, that was, that was big for them too. Yeah. It's just, our, we've, the city itself is just the sports six culture of success. is just so intertwined with the city that it, <laughs> I think it definitely has diluted the meaning behind actually winning the championship just because of how successful we've been. So. You've got a point. You've got a point. We, I don't get tired of it, though, to be clear. I don't get tired. I just think it's diluted the meaning of it. So. For sure. City stuff we are spoiled. Of us winning, yeah. But we don't get tired of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Anyway, um, if any, any of you guys would like to add anything else, that's going to do it for this super long episode <laughs> of Suffolk Sports Report. Oh, God, did I just say that? <laughs> Guys, we've been recording just appeal. three something hours. Yeah, so. we're, we're going on three hours. So yeah, we, we'll almost like, three hours. I need to go take a walk. Yeah, so so. that I would just leave it in there. That's gonna do it for this episode of the Best of Beantown podcast. That was Chris Lewa, Celia Balfour, and James Sampson a little bit a little bit earlier. He had to take off, but he was here. So I'm Josh Depeel. Um, again, thanks you guys for making it this far in the episode. We'll probably splice this and make two episodes out of it, just considering how long we've gone here today. But again, thank you for tuning in and we'll see you 
on the next week's episode. And again, thank you, Celia Balfour, for coming on here today. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks great, for having me. Great guest host. Um, would love to have you come on more often. It was awesome. So um, again, we'll see you guys next week.